and welcome to the second episode of Retro Rugby. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall, your best place for predictions and opinion. And we have no rugby to do predictions about, and uh, there's very little rugby for us to do opinion about. So what we're doing is we're going back in time, taking you to some classics um, from the past um, and having a chat about them. So the other night we had a chat about the Crusaders versus the Sharks at Twickenham, the only Super Rugby game to ever take place in Europe. And tonight we go further in that se- that 2011 season to the end of the season to the grand final where the Reds took on the Crusaders in um, I've gone blank to where they, in Suncorp Stadium up in Brisbane right. um, for that uh, on on that night. And to join me to go through that, you will see I have Shane with me. How are you doing, sir? Good thanks, Paul. How are you? Not bad at all. I see. In, in, is that a no? It's not a Reds jersey, is it? But, it's, but you are a no, Reds supporter. Absolutely. Oh my word! And, oh no! And that voice you can hear, but the, but the, but the picture you can't because he's driving at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Safe, safe podcasting, John. Um, we have uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have John O'Connor joining us yet again. Thank you, John. Hi guys. Good to be with you. <laughs> So, yeah, 2011, the year that the Crusaders went on the road because of the Christchurch earthquakes, which meant that uh, their stadium was damaged beyond use. Um, And obviously, they also lost their round two game against the uh, Hurricanes because of a second earthquake, and that got nilled Um, 0-0. But I say, they played all their games away. Even some of their home games, like against against the Hurricanes, they played in Napier, which was actually a home game for the... um, for the Hurricanes, so yeah, it was uh, an amazing uh, achievement by by the, by the Crusaders just to make the final more than anything else, um, wasn't it, John? Oh, it was absolutely incredible uh, achievement, and to my mind, even though they lost the game that we're looking at now, that team, I believe, was the greatest team that uh, we've seen in Super Rugby the last. 23 seasons that uh, 22 and a half if you consider where we are in, the, in, in so far this year because their achievement was just off the charts remembering that from the moment of the earthquake they never played at home all their games including ones that were designated as home games were played outside of Christchurch in the uh, smaller unions so Nelson uh, Marlborough wherever it may be so they were living away from home, not sleeping in their own beds, uh, constantly on the move. Uh, and their achievement was just, it was just absolutely incredible. The, um, yep, and the, I, when you say it was, was incredible, they did still lose four games during the season and um, have that, uh, that, that, that result against the Canes was, was, was designated to draw as well. Um, and you must have come into this game with a bit of confidence, Shane, because the Reds had beaten the Crusaders 17-16 earlier in the season. By a point, I think, with the drop goal missed after full time from the... Um, oh, I beg your pardon. Clay Cooper kicked a penalty goal just before full time um, in that previous game. A, a game that was played at a crackerjack pace and... Uh, Certainly, it was going to be no different when the Reds and the Crusaders met again a few weeks later. Yep, no, ex- um, exactly. So, yes, there was a... I haven't, actually, I haven't got the times when, when they're on here, but Quade Cooper, um, that, that last penalty, it's good he made it because he missed the other three penalties he, he, he had that day. He only hit one out of four on the old penalties, um, but uh, which meant they left points out there. But so they, they could have beaten the Crusaders by a bigger margin, but um, kicking was to be fallible. Um just to run in the run-up to this game, because the Reds finished number one seed, that meant they got a buy in the first round. Um, whereas the Crusaders uh, beat the Sharks at home, um, 36-8. That earned the Crusaders the right to fly all the way over to South Africa to play the Stormers, who they beat 10-29. Whilst the Reds ran rampant against the Blues, 30-13, um, to set up this game. So not only had the Crusaders been on the road for the entire season, they also had to play an extra game uh, more than the Reds coming into this one um, and also travel across the uh, Indian Ocean which as we know Twice. John uh, well there I'm back again yes uh, as we know John that so yeah teams across the Indian Ocean just generally don't, don't win um, games do they yes yeah, so I stand corrected but there have been three franchises 
uh, ever that have crossed the Indian Ocean and won a knockout match. The Crusaders have done it, I think, three times. The Sharks have done it, I think, twice. And the Chiefs have done it once. So whether you're traveling uh, one way, uh, that's the worst direction, of course, is going from uh, west to east. That's the worst for jet lag. Um, or whether you're going from east to uh, to west, which is a bit, which is easier. Uh, don't ask me why. It just is. And even, but even so, across all of these years, 23 seasons, there's been so let's say three for the Crusaders, uh, two for the Sharks, and one for the Chiefs. So there have been six games where a team has travelled across the ocean just before a knockout game, and 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 has and has won. Now, if you go across the ocean twice, you travel across the ocean, play a knockout game, and then have to go back. You have no price. So the fact that the Crusaders were as close as they were is again um, remembering that they'd been traveling for I don't know how many months, five months, or living away from home is mm. just—it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The uh, other. Big things about this game, 52,113 people packed themselves into Suncorp. That was a record for a super rugby crowd uh, up until that point in Australia. Um, so, we had, so yes, back in the days when people turned up and watched. Brilliant. Um, the, but to show how in times... In Australia. And in Australia as well, yes. To show how times haven't changed, though, here are the commentators. Greg Clark, Greg Martin, Tim Horan, and um, Rod Kafer. So at least three of those guys are still doing the commentary for Super Rugby. Um, so, yes, uh, 11, or, so yeah, what's it, nine years on, and we've got the same commentary team. Jobs for the boys, eh? Um, or jobs for life, for some people. Um, and your referee on the night there was Bryce Lawrence. Had a Kiwi referee doing a Kiwi versus Aus Australia versus Kiwi game. Ooh, controversial or what? Um, no, it wasn't Bryce Lawrence who was the referee. It was, um, it was the South African. Craig Jabeur. Sorry, mate. Have you have you have you got no. your have you um? Are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about that. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure. Really? Because right? if, I was, if I, I was arguing with a wife, I would of course be wrong. But <laughs> well, hey, um, I'll take that fifty quid off you right now then, um, because it was Bryce Lawrence who was the referee. Bryce Lawrence. Wow. Oh, it was too. My bad. Sorry, boys. Beers on John, fantastic. Um, so I'll, I'll have forgotten by the time I see him again because obviously we've got four weeks in isolation. Um, but anyway, um, the. <laughs> so yes. You still owe me beers, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, I mean, um, we've got Stephen Harris in the live chat. Great to see you, Steve, there. Yeah, saying that, yeah, look. look the one rugby, one super rugby team where travel isn't does the travel factor isn't really does go out the window is the Crusaders. Yes, they are the best at travelling. Um, that is very true. Um, just for those of you, um, I had a chat with Lima Sopawanga this morning. Go over to drivingmall.com and you can see my interview with him. And one of the things I talk about with him is the difference between travel factor of of playing in New Zealand as opposed to playing in the UK. Um, so yeah, so go and have a um, listen to my interview with Lima Sopawanga over at drivingmall.com. Um, the so yes, yeah, so that's how it all started, um, and uh, the uh, the Crusaders were in grey, and the um, the Reds were were in, were in red. So thankfully, we didn't have a shirt clash as we have seen in previous games, um, <laughs> which is good. The uh, and one one of the things I think we'll see during this is the, the refereeing was definitely changed because um, we saw Whitelock just early on stood well offside, stand up, pick the ball up and just run off and the referee just ignore it and not not, not realise he was stood in an offside position. Um, the refereeing in those days, um, and we talked about it during the, the, the game on uh, the other day, was cards uh, and, and and things. A lot of things got missed back in the day, didn't they? We didn't have the, the TMO getting involved in catching everything. So there was a lot more going on off the ball, I think, than, than, uh, than there is nowadays, Shane. Well, I can remember just a year later, because you've mentioned that, um, the Wallabies played Argentina at the Gold Coast. And the TMO not being there and the referee, did, even 
the um, touch judge didn't not realise that in one of the Argentinian tries um, there was a foot and touch. So some of the ba even basic things you, back then um, got missed. Um, I remember later in this game, Radikin Samo got caught for a, a high tackle, which was seen by the, the assistant referee. So, um, yeah, Torrance oh, wasn't always making the... Had, didn't have the greatest of games. No, he didn't. And, and I think in the first half, it seemed like the Reds couldn't do anything right. But then in the second half, the Crusaders couldn't. So he, he evened himself up over the over the game. So that's, so that, so that, that's yeah. good. Um, let's, let's just... Be, be aware of the fact, uh, and, and I've been properly corrected that it was Bryce Lawrence. That Bryce Lawrence is, let's say, he didn't finish his refing career with the greatest of reputations when he managed <laughs> to ref, when he managed to referee a quarterfinal in the 2011 World Cup, where, where for some reason, um, what is uh, uh, what is Mr. Popeye? Um, the open side flanker for the Wallabies. Uh, uh, help me, boys. Pocock. <laughs> Pocock. There we go. Pocock the Popeye with the huge biceps. For some reason, he donned Harry Potter's cloak of invisibility and and uh, just completely uh, basically stole the game away at the breakdown and, and engendered hernias all across South Africa. So... Um, yeah, he he wasn't the greatest when it comes to consistency and and ability to enforce the rules was uh, was old Bryce. Yeah, but he's ended up being the um, the national referee manager for New Zealand rugby. But there we go. Um, moving on. Um, <laughs> the, I, I just shake my head, brother. <laughs> I, to give you an idea we as to how this, how this game was going to go on, I mean, Horwell had two turnovers in the, in the opening four minutes. Um, Pre, uh, pre show, uh, Shane and I having a chat, and he was saying basically just how the uh, how ferocious the Reds' defence was. So yeah, it was the Reds were in were in the Crusaders twenty two twice in um, in that first four minutes as well, and came away with no points. And I think that was going to set the tone for this game is that yeah, ferocious defence, but both sides butchering opportunities as well, where and not coming away with points when they had the upper hand in this game. Shane. Yeah, and uh, some of that <laughs> comes down to who was wearing the 10 jumper. I love watching him play, but of course I've also pulled my uh, hair out. Uh, as you can see, there's not much left. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, there was some basic, you know, the, the Crusaders knew how to sit back in defence. Um, because, you know, they, they've done that and they've had that experience where the Reds were trying to to flatline things. And, and the Reds back then in that era really had... They worked themselves into the game and they played that old-school Wallabies rugby that Ewan McKenzie had played when he was a Wallaby. Throw the ball around, try and punch through the line and counter-attack where necessary. Yeah, and in in, that, in the first half hour, we only had one scoring opportunity, and that was Dan Carter missing a penalty. Um, so, yeah, it's nil all in the first half hour. Um, in there, we had um, eight minutes of the Crusaders in and around the Reds 22, no points um, yet again. The turf was, was lifting up off the floor. Um, they'd only laid it um, like a couple of weeks beforehand. And so you had st we had stoppage time while the ground staff came on and tried to fix the turf. <laughs> How amateur! Um, but the one the one area that the Reds were struggling in was the scrum. Um, the lineouts both sides were making an absolute mess of it. But so uh, the Crusaders got the upper hand in that scrum. Um, and you know what I've not done I've not actually talked about the two teams. So let me just run through the actual lineups of the two teams because I just realised I haven't mentioned it. Um, got it in front of me now. Yeah. So for the Reds, we had Ben Daly. Cypher Inga and Greg Holmes in the front row with Rob Simmons and James Horwell uh, with the locks. Higginbottom, Robinson and Samo were the, uh, were, were the Lucys. Genia and Cooper running things for the Reds uh, with um, Tapai and Fainga in the centres. 
uh, um, Digby Awani, Rodney Davis, and John O'Lance were the loose. Well, sorry, were the back three. Coming off the bench, we had um, James Hansen and Guy Shepherdson. Remember, only one prop um, on the bench in those days. Um, Adam Wallace Harrison um, and Jake um, Shorts were the, um, the the other forward replacements. Oh, sorry, and Liam Gill. Uh, then uh, you had Ian Pryor and Lee and Will Chambers were the backs replacements. So just two backs replacements on the bench. That scrum had to put up with this this team for the Crusaders: Wyatt Crockett, Corey Flynn, Owen Franks, uh, Brad Thorne, mm. Sam Whitelock, George Whitelock, Richard McCaw, and Kieran Reid. So essentially, mm. an all-black um, mm. pack. Andy Ellis and Dan Carter were running things with Sonny Bill Williams and Robbie Fruin in the centres. Zach Guilford, mm. Sean Maitland and Tom Marshall were the back three. Coming off the bench, Quinton McDonald, Ben Franks, Luke Romano, Matt Todd. So three more um, uh, All Blacks coming off the bench for the forwards. Um, we had uh, Fotolihi, Matt Burquist and Ryan Crotty were the, uh, the backs well, they, well they, yeah, the backs, the backs replacements. Um, as we've already mentioned, Ewan McKenzie was coaching the Reds and uh, Todd Blackadder coaching the uh, Crusaders. Um, but yes, that's... Uh, that's, that's Daly, Fainga, Holmes um, with Simmons and Horwell. Yeah, that front five had a, had a torrid time at scrum time against Crockett, Flynn, Franks, Thor, um, Thorne and Whitelock. They weren't the only front five that would have a torrid time against them, but yeah, that's, they, they did struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm. Then, just on the half-hour mark, Franks, um, uh, Owen Franks, this is, decides that um, he will push down with his sh- elbow arm onto uh, the Red 7, Bo Robinson's head, on the floor. In these days, that would have been a strike to the head and would have been a straight red card. Um, in those days, they looked at it and decided that uh, there wasn't much in it. <laughs> and you're just looking at it going, oh, oh my word. George Best. <laughs> Go on, John. Old Georgie Best type tactics. Well, let's be honest. Um, in that period, probably 09 to somewhere around 12 or 13, uh, the, uh, yeah, and it was, was the time that Graham Henry was in charge. It kind of changed... Uh, when Shag Hansen took over, but both the Crusaders and the All Blacks were, uh, let's let's say, adept at all sorts of skullduggery. I even remember one of your compatriots, mates, an Aussie, uh, producing a YouTube clip of a Crusaders standing up on the wrong side of the ruck, taking people out on the other side of the ruck, just obstructing, lying in the wrong place. It was quite oh. a, um, it was quite a piece of damning video evidence of how clearly they were employing all sorts of skullduggery tactics in order to to um, just niggle and to slow down and to hinder all the time. How's it to guess who that was? <laughs> well, it was it was it was mostly um, the four. So it was Crockett and Franks and and Co. Yeah, yeah. Why Crockett? Wyatt Crockett definitely is. I, I remember him blind uh, hit it, hit swinging a punch into an English player from behind in, in a test match. You're like, hang on, look, God. I mean, there's throwing punches, and then there's throwing punches when the guy's not even looking. Um, yeah, so he definitely had. Um, oh yeah, he, he, he had previous. Um, the as did as you know, yeah, we've already talked about Franks um, as, as as well. Um, so Carter then was over the ball. Quade Cooper, and this this was this was full on matador stance, kicking kicking uh, era Cooper as well, um, with his arms way out, and you're like, what are you doing? Uh, it all looks really ungainly, but hey, the ball went over, and it was three nil after Carter got caught in a in a, um, in a ruck. And what what was and what's Dan Carter doing in a ruck anyway? I mean, that's just that's that should be a penalty offence straight away. Um, <laughs> but typical Crusaders. Imagine, that- how, imagine how excited the forwards were. For the Reds when they saw him in a ruck. <laughs> so, oh, here we go. We got a chance. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I tell you what. In the old days, in the old days, it's he'd still have the scores. Well, yes. Um, 
the uh, yeah, he got done for going off his feet at the ruck. The I, that, oh, look, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was um, a Scottish um, fly half in the, the in the time of Jim Telfer, and he said, yeah, he never knowingly made a tackle. He said once we were playing Argentina, um, and their player had made a break, a clean break, and I figured out exactly how I would sidestep out of his way so I didn't tackle him. Unfortunately, he right. sidestepped at the same time and ran into me, and I and I tackled him just short of the line. Jim Telfer ran past, going, "Good tackle! It was you!" Um, <laughs> it reminds, so. me, reminds me of a story from J.P. Peterson. I saw him in, uh, in a panel discussion, um, and he was with a bunch of Sharks players, and he already had a legendary reputation for for uh, defence. And they asked him who was the hardest person to tackle, and uh, in his in his career so far. And he said, "Well, he told the story about playing a preseason warm-up game at Sun City, which is a famous resort in South Africa. And uh, they were playing against the Bulls preseason. And he said it was him, and then 15 meters behind him, the try line, and nobody else." And Bucky's Sportser was coming with the ball. And he looked at it. And he said, he looked at Bucky's and he thought about it. And then he decided, it's a long season. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, the Crusaders knew what to do after that, though. They uh, they just basically went into pick-and-go mode. Um, but and after 10 of those... The Reds' defence got sucked in. Um, Carter picked up the ball, grubbed it through, picked, uh, collected it himself. Quade Cooper then decided that you know tackling was 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 something that no, that he didn't do, and allowed allowed Dan Carter to run round under the posts. And he like, uh, even the commentators are like, you've got to at least tackle him and make him make 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 the dick kick at least slightly difficult for yeah. him. <laughs> but no, Quade Cooper was having none yeah. of it. Happy just to let let Dan let Dan Carter run run under the post round round him. What what once he was in the, uh, the once he was over over the goal line. Um, Look, I, I'm a firm believer that at certain times um, you've got to make certain decisions in certain sports. Like certainly, if you're a quarterback of a team and he's in in the NFL and you throw a interception. Um, your team needs you more than they need you to make that final tackle to stop a, a touchdown, right? But if you're playing in a final, right, and you, your, your team has never won uh, a, a Super Rugby title, in fact, only, yeah, that's right, only the Brumbies had ever won a title for an Australian team. Yep. And you, and you can't even be bothered to try make a tackle. I'm sorry, that's, that's just not on. And we're talking about fly half on fly half here. We're not talking Quade Cooper having to take on Brad Thorne or um, or, 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 or George Whitelock. The, but um, but no, this this was just. <laughs> I caught that. That's well done. <laughs> Very nice. Um, but this, yeah, this is this is another fly half. He should be. I mean, yeah, come on. Tackling tackling Dan Carter isn't going to hurt you. Um, so yeah. yeah. He, um, Look, it's not. A- See us tackling Richie McCaw when Richie McCaw is lying on the ground, but it certainly isn't having a front rower run at him or something. Yeah. So at, by this time, look, the the, um, the the Reds had been in the Crusaders 22 for a minute and 20 seconds. The Crusaders had been in the Reds 22 three minutes. Uh, so the, yeah, the Crusaders had been in the Reds, Reds 22 three minutes and 30 seconds, and the Reds had only given up one try. That is pr- um, um, pr- pretty pretty good stuff. And yeah. we're talking about Brad Thorne and Quade Cooper. Quade Cooper does a kick. He's chasing it. And Brad Thorne just sticks his leg out and trips him up. Absolutely blatant. And um, what is it? Oh, it's just yeah. a penalty. I mean, that's just, it's a clear yellow card. It's a professional foul. You've just tripped up a player. Obvious yellow card. The referee just goes, yeah, penalty. Quade Cooper gets up, knocks yeah. it over. And it's 6-7 at half time. Uh, but yeah, as I say, the Crusaders could easily have been two players down by this point. Well, uh, you know, you're talking about Ruben Thorne, and although he's well thought of and hard man and everything, no, those Brad, are the days where I can remember. Brad, sorry, Brad, Brad Thorne. Thorne. Thank yeah. you, mate. 
I remember, I can remember. Um, it was either 08 or 09, uh, John Smith playing against the All Blacks, and Brad Thorne picked him up and dumped him on his head, right? Uh, the ball was gone, so it was late, it was dangerous, and he dumped him on his head. And in the process, he tore John Smith's groin. He had him uh, one leg. He lifted him up one leg. John Smith out for the right? Uh, with a groin tear. And I don't even know if there was a penalty given for that. <laughs> so it would have been a straight red now. Finished. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, those were, those were different times. Those were very different times. That's true. But it's, uh, part, part of the doing these retro lookbacks is to is to remind ourselves that they were different times. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of people who look back with rose tinted glasses, saying how wonderful it was, how great it was. Yes, uh, there, there were good moments. Don't get me wrong, but there are good moments now. Let's also remember the bad yeah. moments as well. Um, I think you've raised a perfectly. A really good point there, Paul, because it's important to remember that a red card after the incident doesn't save the victim. It's already happened. Hmm. The purpose of the red card afterwards is to protect the players in the rest of that game, as well as all the rugby players around the world who will be playing after that. So if you have a son or a daughter playing rugby and you see that somebody gets a red card like Sonny Bull Williams did against the Lions when he comes in with a shoulder. Guy's got his arms trapped and he hits him in the head with a shoulder. If you know that your son the following week or your daughter the following week is going to play and he's in the same position and whoever's coming in knows that Sonny Bull got a red card, that's what you want. It's about protecting what's coming and that message getting out there. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, the game's a lot cleaner than it was. <laughs> I can tell you, looking back at these games. Um, the second half, then. Well, if I can quote Martin Mouse McLaughlin, the famous Scotland and uh, and British Lions prop, when I, I've heard Willie John McBride, his Lions captain and captain of, of Ireland, tell the story that they were at an after-match function in after a test at Lansdowne Road yeah. and they were talking about how they used to line up some distance back in the front row and the two sets of forwards used to charge each other, bang, you know, and um, Mighty Mouse said to uh, Willie John you know Willie John we were lucky when we played, rugby was dangerous <laughs> and sex was safe <laughs> <laughs> oh dearie me um, anyway, into the second half, um, we had Frewer making a break, but um, uh, Maitland just couldn't collect the offload. It was a chance gone. Um, we had uh, Cooper making a break, throwing a ball that uh, Rod Davis doesn't pick up. Um, we have uh, uh, Rich McCaw just stopping a break by Ben Tapai with a with a critical ankle tap. I mean, it was really kicking off in the. Um, uh, in in in, in uh, that point, Dig Biwani then knocks on um, from a, and um, from a scrum, and uh, Brad Thorne. If the ball goes out to Brad Thorne. He's got four players open outside him, and he decides to bash over the over the try line himself, and gets held up. Um, absolutely, I mean, so absolutely butchered a massive overlap. But there's the TMO can't find any angle where we can see the ball. So the referee's on-field decision stands, which is uh, which is held up. Right. We get a scrum penalty from that next one, um, and so the uh, Crusaders go for go for three, and it's six ten. But um, it should easily have been six fourteen at that point. But so uh, yeah, the, the yeah. Crusaders just were not executing um, on the night. Um, we then had the, uh, uh, the, the the reason this Reds team was so good which was Genia and Cooper. Cooper um, sets, it, uh, sets it up. Get, uh, Genia makes a, a, a lovely break, gives it to um, Digby Awani, who um, yeah. just goes outside Sonny Bill Williams, outpaces him um, and, um, uh, and and scores. And it's, suddenly it's 13-10. And uh, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I mean, Digby Wani, a bit of a prat at times, let's be honest. But boy, he was the um, with ball in hand. He, he was he was something special, wasn't he? Wasn't he, Shane? He was. He was a speedster, and the try celebrations that he did afterwards um, just got um, even better every week. Uh, Digby Wani, a very special, special player. And, you know, as we're talking about memories and, and reminiscing about this, this was actually a very good year for Australian rugby. Um, not only yeah, did the Reds win the title, um, the Wallabies won the Tri-Nations at the same ground um, a few weeks later, and they finished third at the Rugby World Cup. Um, so some of those sort of memories um, ever last pretty they, they last pretty long mm. and I can and Digby Iwani with that try and that try celebration he, he'll explain that mm-hmm. no doubt to us but uh, <laughs> you know it was just seeing him sprint down scum court was just a sight to see off of, off of either a Genia or a Cooper yeah. Pass absolutely yeah. we, we, we had Higginbottom do a, do, a, do a grubber through that Andy Ellis could just, just tip out but um the Reds then went to lose the line out. Um, so what the kick? <laughs> the um, the well, no, he kicks it through. Uh, Ellis had to tap it out. So there was a five meter line out for the Reds. They lost their line out. Um, and that, Rug- that was rugby anecdote, Paul. The um, sorry, the um, <laughs> we moved, the 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 Reds. Uh, sorry, the, and then yeah, a silly um, but a, a, a silly. The Reds had all the all the upper hand at that point silly penalty by Simmons allows Carter to put it over for th- make it 13 all Simmons then nearly nearly manages to um, redeem himself interception from like the 20 I think it's something from like, like, like on the 10 metre line runs it all the way in scores a try but gets called back for the most dubious of knock-ons that um, I know the commentators well look, they were Australian commentators um, but look this was before um Phil Kearns got involved, so they weren't as one-eyed as they are now. Um, but th- oh, they were. Yeah. It was a yeah. It was a very marginal knock-on um, uh-huh. that, uh, that that he got called back for. Um, the pulling the ha- we then had some 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 lovely pulling hair up moments by Quade Cooper, fielding kicks, having three men in front of him and trying to step them all, and obviously failing. Just trying to take things on when when the game when it just wasn't on. Um, when he when he when he gets his decision making right, he's fantastic. When he gets it wrong, though, boy, does he get it wrong. <laughs> um, and then the problem was Cooper. If I can just make a, a comment, because I'm thinking about what happened. Because for all the mistakes that he had, he still some devastating impact in various games. And I think what happened. What with plenty of video analysis, they they figured out his tells, where he was going to step, when he was going to step, which direction he was going to step, and he no longer beat the first or second tackler consistently, right? So, I think once he lost that, and they figured him out, and he didn't add any differences to his pattern of stepping, uh, then the combination of not being able to bring that ability to beat. Uh, when you married that with uh, all the mistakes, it just you know that was it for him. Well, also you remember at the end of in, at the end of this year, in the third place playoff against Wales, um, he goes to step, and his knee just gives out, and he um, and he and he does uh, he does his he does his knee in, and post okay. two thousand eleven after this, his step was nowhere near as dangerous as it as it was um, uh, prior to this that year. Could be it. Um, it yeah, but he. he yeah, he blew his knee out later this year. Um, that could be. Him. Uh, as, I, I'm not. Yeah, game tape obviously also helps as well. But um, but yeah, he definitely was never never the same player after 2011. Uh-huh. Um, the and then yeah, Genia, there's absolutely nothing on. He steps out, looks back, sees that the postman's already already decided to go with him, steps back inside, uh-huh. goes through the hole, and bang. Um, Hands off Maitland uh, to go over and score what was to be the winning try uh-huh. from a situation where the uh-huh. Crusaders had all they, they had enough numbers they were all matched up it was 
the lit there was yeah it was literally nothing on the bit a few phases but the, they hadn't called the defense out of shape in particularly but just the postman decided to t decided to step out when he should have just held the space um, and that was all it took in the end um absolute wow moment yeah go and watch that one i, I guess that, that that's um that's one you must have watched a few times shane yeah um because uh he uh blinded them with his speed uh, they thought they were going to catch him and uh, it turns out when he started breaking that line particularly in that last 20 minutes he put on put on as much speed as possible and got there well before the Crusaders defence and, and one of the things we do talk about here we, we've just been criticising Quade Cooper but one of the things he does actually in this try is he runs a fantastic support line which means that both um, Sonny Bill and Zach Guilford are tracking him, thinking, right, Genia's going to give it, Genia's going to give it, Genia's... Oh, he hasn't. Um, and by the time they realise he's not going to give it, it's too late. Um, and as I say, yeah, he, he, he muscles yeah. in. Um, the, and it's 18-13, with 10 minutes to go. Uh, uh. Cooper has the opportunity to, tie it to, 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 to win the game with a penalty, but he misses it. And, yeah... Uh -huh. you, you were you were watching the last two minutes, but my, my notes for the last two minutes go something like this: Samo late hit, which should have been a card, um, but then he but then he steals the resulting line out. The Crusaders charge down the kick, but they're offside. The Reds then get knock on at the ruck. The Crusaders then knock on. Uh, both sides were out on their feet, knackered, making lots of errors, lots of opportunities for something to happen, but neither of them really had the gas left in the tank to make it happen. Mm. And the Reds mm. finished, uh, won their first ever Super Rugby Championship. They're one and only so far. And it ushered in a very special um, thing for you and Mackenzie, um, who I think is sorely missed from Australian rugby today. Um, he had two unsuccessful attempts with the Waratahs at beating the Crusaders, and on the third time, he got them. Um, and mm. that was a very special red side. I still believe mm. that the 96 and 99 minor premier sides um, were better than the 2011 side overall. Yeah, when you got Horan, Little Eels, um, Gareth Morgan, Damien Smith, etc., that puts almost the fear in tear. But... Um, you know, yeah. but there was something about what the Reds did, and two years earlier they were in mm. turmoil. Crowds weren't coming to games. Mm. Um, mm. They had to do something radical. The next year, in 2010, they beat the Crusaders. They had back-to-back -back games against the Stormers and the Bulls, which they won narrowly. The Bulls were the premiers mm -hmm. that year. It was a... Mm. It was the beginning of something and the build into 2011 and what was probably one of the better years in Australian rugby that I can certainly remember too. But I guess then the question is why yeah, did... Were... Sorry, go on. go on, John. I was going to say, uh, you mentioned the fact that they uh, that they came third in... <laughs> 11 World Cup, the French, the French did what French do and pitched up for the final out of nowhere. Um, but overall, they, I think there was a better team than the French. So, um, although they finished third, the stronger of the opponents that made it to the semi-final for the All Blacks, at least. Yeah, and I mean, this red side, the following season went on to finish top of the Australian Conference again. Um, third, or oh, third seed, even if they had less points than uh, fourth, fifth and sixth. Um, losing to the Reds in the quarterfinal, sorry, losing to the Sharks in the quarterfinal at home. Um, so it's not like the following season they just disappeared off the map. They did, um, they did stick around for, for a couple of years. But then, essentially, um uh, I've gone blank. Mackenzie went off to um, uh, to to coach the uh, you and Mackenzie went off to coach the Wallabies, um, and yeah, the Reds have kind of well, 
and I spent several years just trying to find a coach. Let's be honest. Um, with and, and, and leadership at the top, unfortunately, meant that they didn't manage to grow this into being a four or five season kind of um, legacy. It uh, it stuck around for about one season and then they they, they then they um, slipped away. Uh, obviously, not helped by. Sorry, someone's calling me. Sorry, obviously not uh, helped not helped yes, by um, the uh, right. the injury to Quade Cooper, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they didn't really manage to build on this on, on this uh, uh, on the on this final win. A bit like the Wall- the Waratahs didn't manage to build on their final win either. It seems there seems to be a bit of a yeah a thing in Australia that they don't that they get they get it right one year, but they can't get it right for several years on the trot. It seems it does does seem to be a problem, unfortunately, for them. Yeah. Mm. This is why I think we. Look, uh, it's really clear, not a Crusaders fan. I'm a, I'm a Sharks boy through and through, and uh, my team has been on the receiving end of some really bad losses. And when I say bad losses, I mean, uh, um, you know, from uh, try scoring in the final that the Crusaders won for their first victory uh, in the tournament way back in like 97, something like that, 97, 98 maybe. Um, Okay. But okay. what is absolutely incredible is the uh, legacy of success that they have. It's just extraordinary how they have managed to make uh, the knockouts and progress to those rounds for so many years. Uh, even when Todd Blackadder was supposedly not winning them any any trophies, uh, he was I think we might have lost. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. John, you, you, you're cutting in and out there, but just to. Um, so, we've been talking about the 25th year of. Um, so, 1996 was the first year that we had Super Rugby, um, and it's been going. Uh, and we're talking about the 15th year, 25th year this year, haven't we? And if you look at the Crusaders' record, they didn't uh, feature in the finals the first two years, um, but since then they've only missed. They were, u- they were useless the first two years, let me tell you. <laughs> The, uh, anyway, the um, well, they finished twelfth, i.e., last um, and sixth, or mid, mid mid table in the first two years. Since then, though, they have only missed the finals twice, in two thousand and one and in two thousand and fifteen. Every other year, they have uh, been in wow. the finals. Wow, that's amazing. Um, which is just a crazy record. So yeah, as you say, even though we think of of um, Todd Blackadder being a failed Crusaders coach because he didn't, he's the only. Uh, I think he's the only Crusaders coach to have not won a title. Bar, or maybe maybe one of only two. Maybe the very first coach didn't as well. But um, yeah, someone like only one of two coaches uh, to, have, to have not won a title with the Crusaders. But even he made the finals every single season bar one. Yeah. And that season where they lost this final here, to me, is the greatest season by any single team. And he was the coach. So they may not have got the, the silverware, um, but what they achieved, if you consider the travel, as well as the emotional toll of having your family living in a city or your loved ones, which has been through two earthquakes, the second one devastating, you're not sure if they're safe, you're on the road. Just what they achieved was extraordinary. The, um, I'm just trying to find that the, when, when he was coached from and until. Um, the... Because yeah, I'm trying to think how many finals he made. But he, he made several finals, so yeah, he, he, yeah, he is still yeah, he's still a very good coach with that sort of even though he didn't mm. uh, say failure is is relative. Um, let's um, yeah. let's be honest. Yes, and to be to be fair as well, I think I'm recalling now why I had Craig Jaber in mind. I think that game of 17-16 that was that they lost in the. In the in the round robin phase, yep. Is it that game that Craig Joubert gave the dodgy penalty against Richie McCaw that allowed the Reds to? Is that the the kick that um, Quade Cooper put over to win seventeen sixteen? And if they had 
uh, won that game like they should have because it wasn't actually a penalty. Richie McCall wasn't offside or whatever he was supposed to have done. But if he, if they'd won that game, there were consequences like the the Crusaders would not have had to travel across the ocean and back again. The uh, I think it's the Reds would have had to travel and the Crusaders would have had a home final. It's something like that. So it, maybe that's where I'm getting a little bit confused. Um, Stuart Dickinson was the referee for that game. Um, but the... <laughs> I'm just... I'm on a roll. I'm <laughs> 0 for 2. Um, the, and the, the, the teams were separated by five points. So yeah, um, that, yeah they, they were, they were, a try bonus point win was the difference between the two sides um, in the table at the end. So yes, they could have... Yeah, if the Crusaders had won that... And if the Crusaders had won that game, they would have finished definitely ahead of the Stormers. Um, and would have been and would have uh, been at home. That's for certain. And would have had the buy. So yes, yeah. so they would have. Yeah, it's four, four down, four up. So you, you, the um, Reds go down by four. The Crusaders climb by four. Yep. And yeah, and then they they're top. Yep. So so yeah, and so the, yeah. So all if you look at the whole package, um, the whole story of that season needs to be seen its in its entirety. That is not saying to our to our good reds a fan over there with the most magnificent aussie accent um, thank you uh it's not saying that that reds team wasn't a very good team it certainly was and and i wonder what what happened to digby yuani well he was one of the three yeah. amigos that um uh, it was him cooper and o'connor um who were uh, and actually and, and, um, and beal as well who were all? Who were basically the reasons that um, Dingo Deans didn't uh, have much success? And um, yeah, I think uh, Digby Wine was the first one that he could actually get rid of. Uh, yeah, they, they were they were not very uh, professional off the pitch. I think is a nice way to put it. What's your take on? <laughs> What's your take on Digby Wine, Shane? Um. Look, I love watching Digby Iwani play because I like characters. I think rugby union should always have its characters. Um, and I know Paul and I and um, uh, Cornflake Steve, we've all had a laugh about rugby from from time to time and made it fun. I know Digby made it fun to watch on the, on the footy field. Um, yeah, I guess from Dingo's perspective, though, you've got to also be a, a disciplined character. Um, but uh, you know, he, he, um, you know, thirty-five caps for the Wallabies, um, and uh, a Super Rugby um, trophy tells you he's had a pretty good career in rugby, and I think he played some years in Japan as well, um, and even was a Crusader for a few games in twenty seventeen. Mm. Mm. So I. You love watching special talents, but you want to make sure that they keep harnessing that. And um, yeah, look, uh, that that probably sums up Digby for me. I some of the See, points. I, I, I mean, here's how he kind of came into rugby. Um, he was playing. He was selected for the under 21s um, for Australia at the age of eight. Uh, uh, yeah, the age of 18, I think it was. So he spent three years playing under 21s for Australia which shows you how how good he was early on and he toured with the Wallabies before he'd even played a Super Rugby game uh, now if there's a guy that ever thinks he's entitled yeah, there's a sense of entitlement yeah. you can see where it might come from yeah. yes yeah you can see that you see the thing is guys there's a difference between being a maverick being different being an individual and being a dickhead alright so um somebody like Campisi, who is not the easiest of fellas, and certainly I don't know if he could spell humble, um, <laughs> he uh, and could rub people up the wrong way. He didn't behave like a well, you know what I mean, when you get too many drinks in you and you start being foul and uh abusive towards women and looking for a fight and all of this kind of stuff, right? Um, and I don't want to rehash the stuff with Bertie Beal on the aeroplane with the female employee of the Australian Rugby Union, but it's it's pretty pretty bad stuff. So you could have somebody who's a maverick who uh, uh, sticks it up the authorities 
and uh, says it like it is, pulls a spade a spade, but yet at the same time behaves like a like a human being should, right? Um, and I think that's the difference. We want to see those kind of characters. We want to see the, the. We don't necessarily want uniformity and conformity, but at the same time, you, you know, you got to got to behave decently, right? Now, mm. I, I, yeah, and to be fair to DB Wine, look, he hasn't got that reputation. I think he he was. I think it's probably closer to the decent maverick side than the not nice guy uh, maverick side. The problem, though, is I mean, one of the things Eddie Jones has said is you can handle one personality in a team. The problem was he was one of yeah. four personalities in a team at the time, and you just and you just can't handle that many that yeah. much personalities that that many that many people. I say I think he and, and he was probably the most um, expendable of the four. To be fair. Um, and that's probably why he got selected less than than perhaps he would have under other circumstances. Yeah. Um, by the way, he's now with Panasonic Wild Nights up in up in Japan still. I think. Is he related to Rico? No. Um, notable okay. rev. No, no. He's Montiawani. Um, whoever Montiwani is. Okay. All right. Um, he's another international player, but no, not not Rico. Um. So there we go, folks. That was the uh, any any final thoughts, guys, from the game? Because I, I think we've already done everything from two thousand eleven now. No. Thank you very much, John, for joining us. Um, sorry about the connection, but um, thank you for for joining us and be safe under this lockdown. Um, that we're entering into tonight. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Shane, thank you very much for joining us. And, and, uh, uh, sorry. Go on, John. Sorry, Shane. Is Shane still with us? Yep. Shane, uh, can I just say that um, you sound exactly like one of the co- Aussie rugby commentators, and I, I just can't place who it is. Well, we'll have to... We'll, 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 we'll leave that one. Um, he's frozen, so he may not be with us anymore. Thank you, Shane, very much for your time. Um, for joining us and showing your memories of this game i will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m um new zealand time where i'll be looking at canterbury versus wellington the mpc final from year 2000 um so join me some more yeah, hey, rugby um tomorrow morning at 11 a.m thank you everyone for for watching head over to drivingroll.com as i say pick up have a watch that listen uh, watch that yeah. um interview with lima sopawanga and uh thank you everyone for watching